This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Mature and complete. If you're the same follower of Christ that you were a year ago, there's a problem. You hearing me? If you're the same follower of Christ you were two years ago, three years ago, however long you've been in it, six months ago, if you're the same, there's nothing different in your relationship with Him, it's no deeper, there's no more capacity, it's no more complete than it used to be, there's a problem. You're You're just drifting, I guess, I don't know. I can tell you that as someone who leads and teaches and disciples people, because if you ask me, what do you consider to be your main calling in ministry, I'm going to tell you I'm a discipler. That's my calling. Everything else is uh, accessory to that, okay? I'm a discipler. You ask me, are you a pastor? Maybe in a sense, but I'm a really bad one. Okay, because I don't, I honestly don't, I mean, it's not that I don't think. I know that pastoral ministry is not my calling. I'm sorry. You say, well, like, well, why are you the pastor? I guess it's by default because I don't feel gifted in that direction and I don't feel called in that direction. I do some of it but I'm not very good at it. My calling, my gifting is around helping believers, followers to grow up, to become more complete, to have a greater understanding. If we're not growing, we're dying, right? If we're not advancing, there's no such thing as sitting still. If you're not advancing, you're drifting backwards. For too many people in their pathway of discipleship, it's two steps forward and three steps back. And we're always just, just sort of waffling up and down. And, you know, life is like this right here. And life can be like this, but it's all about what's in here and what's in here uh, in, in relation to that. And there's nothing more frustrating for someone who leads and teaches and disciples to do it for years and then just look at some of the people and go, my gosh, they're exactly the same way they were when we started this years ago. That's really frustrating. And I'm not fussing at anybody because I think most of you in the room are, have come a long ways. But uh, i just pointing that out. The goal is maturity and completion, not lacking anything. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Great challenge. I have some wisdom. I need more. Anybody in the room has asked God for wisdom this past week? Yeah, we probably should, not only weekly, but daily, and maybe even hourly, okay? But when you ask, what? You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown, remember that? Blown and tossed by the wind. Doubt. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. That's an ironic statement we'll get to in a few minutes. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres, there's a second time we've heard that word, under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right, there's a whole lot there, right? So let's go back up to verse 1. We haven't changed topics. We're still talking about the filters we think through, cognitive biases, the way we think and how we draw conclusions that we allow to be impacted by past experiences, by education, by disappointments, all sorts of things can build up filters in our minds and we start to think through those filters and we develop thought patterns that are processed through those filters and that leads to decisions because every decision starts with a thought. So filters, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that doesn't sound like much. The man is just introducing himself as the person who's writing the book, right? Well, I see a little bit more there than just that. What I see is a filter of humility, and I'll tell you why. And if there's a good platform to start from, it would be a platform of humility, Say, well, I'm not a cocky person, I'm not arrogant, I'm not boastful. But if you are self-dependent totally, you feel like you're capable of managing your own life without any uh, assistance, without consulting with the Lord, without consulting with His Word, without depending on Him at, at all as your Creator, then you need a good dose of humility. Because there will come a time it's a guarantee. There will come a time when you realize that your self-dependence just didn't work. It didn't work. Um, that it failed on you. That it actually ended up being something you could not depend on. Why do I say that in reference to James introducing himself? Well, there are four Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament. You've got a guy who's John's brother. Remember him? Peter, James, and John. These are Jesus' three closest, they're the inner circle of his followers. Uh, that's not the James who wrote this book. 
You have another disciple that they call James the Less. So I don't know why they call him the Less. I don't know if he was a little dude. I don't know if, if he wasn't as prominent as the other James and the 12 disciples. So they call him one. This is James the More over here. This is James the Less over here. Anyway, you have James the Less. He's not the one who wrote this book. Then you have another James who is referenced, and he is the father of Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. It's a, it's a different Judas, but his name is mentioned one time in the New Testament. That's not the James who wrote this book. There is a fourth James that we know about from the New Testament, and that is James, the brother of Jesus himself. Okay? They have the same mother. Because after Mary gave birth to Jesus, the virgin birth, she went on to marry Joseph, and they had a number of children together, all of whom now are the half-siblings of Jesus. And James is one of those, potentially the closest in age to Jesus. But when he writes this book to the Jews who are now scattered, they're called the diaspora because of persecution, they have been dispersed, they're scattered, and that's who he's writing this book to. When you read Paul's books, who's he writing to? He's writing to a specific church, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, the church in Rome. That's not what James is doing here. He's writing to Jews at large who have been scattered because of persecution. He is the Lord's brother, but he never mentions that. How does he qualify himself? He says, I am James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That never struck me as being a really cool thing until I was studying that this week. And I'm like, man. <clears throat> how many times have I, when people visit City of Refuge in Atlanta, said when they come up and introduce themselves to me, I'm Jeff, I'm Bruce's brother. Right? I'm Bruce's brother. Why? Because everybody knows Bruce. If you've ever heard of City of Refuge, you know Bruce. Most people are there on campus because of Bruce and usually to see Bruce or something to do with Bruce. So I say, well, I'm Jeff, I'm Bruce's brother. That's my qualification. That's part of my identity. This is one of the reasons I love to take Bruce to Jamaica because it's the only place on earth where he's Jeff's brother, right? He has to introduce himself that way. I love it. James could have said, I'm James, I'm Jesus's brother, and that qualifies me. I'm somebody, I'm important, I'm part of the royal family, I'm part, I'm part of the first family, right, of royalty, because I'm a brother to the Lord. He never says that. He says, I'm James, I'm a servant of God, and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees his brother as a whole lot more than just his natural brother. He knows who he is. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he's the Lord. And that's, that's how he wants to be identified, but not as connected, not as somebody who got to grow up with him and hang out with him. No, as a servant of God. So what's the filter here? 
The filter is humility. I should never start to look at myself as being some sort of a big shot in the kingdom, some sort of a figure that people ought to look to and have some sort of a, you know, a, a wild reaction to who I am or what I'm doing. You know, there must be this starting point, this launch pad of humility where we understand that who we are is we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are submitted to His plan. We're walking after His purpose. In verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, that's, these are verses you've heard before. Verses that, if you're like me, always kind of cause you to pause and say, hold on a minute. Did this man really just say that I should count it as joy when I face problems and trials? And what's that about? This is about the filter of perspective. And we've, I'm not going to hang around here very long because we've talked about perspective a lot. I talked about perspective for several weeks in a row at one point. It is huge. The filter of perspective that we think through. Because our natural reaction when problems come is negative, right? I shared some tough news with my wife this week. Really, really tough news. Well, let me back up. When I received this tough news, my reaction was not good. Okay? I didn't immediately start counting it all joy. I, had, I, I was exasperated. I was angry. I fought back some language, to be honest with you. It was that impactful in not a good way, right? And I had to really start deliberately working and, and paying attention to making a shift in how I was reacting to the situation, not in justifying what someone is doing that is horrible and frustrating, but my own ability to filter it is what I'm dealing with. Well, when I shared it with her, she, she gave a little bit more of a dramatic negative action than I did. And that's her, I mean, that's Tracy, if you know her. I mean, her immediate's going to be not very nice. And then she'll start to work through it. And we will work on our perspective until we can make sure, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about agreeing with what's wrong. I'm not talking about justifying it. I'm not talking about trying to act like it doesn't exist. I'm talking about me, as a kingdom son, living by the Spirit, paying attention to God's Word, making sure that I'm filtering my thinking through the right filters. 
because whatever I'm thinking is going to lead to whatever I decide to do. Every action starts with a thought. Whatever I'm thinking is eventually going to lead to whatever happens down the road in terms of my action, my reaction. And this is about perspective. He said, look, when hardship comes your way, when problems come your way, you need to count it as joy. In other words, you need to be contented and satisfied in it because God's doing a work. And every work that God does is not comfortable. Every work that, that God does does not make you rich. Every work that God does does not make you 100% completely healthy. Every work that God does does not immediately lead to the restoration of a broken relationship. As a matter of fact, and, and he draws the contrast here between the work that God does in in leading us through trials and through hardships as opposed to the work of temptation which never comes from God. All right? So when hardship comes your way, you shouldn't automatically conclude that that's coming from a bad spot. It may be coming from the best spot possible. But when temptation comes your way, you know that it's coming from a bad spot. So he says, count it joy. Think through this perspective. You're not talking about throwing a party. You're just talking about being contented in the knowledge that sometimes God sends bumps in the road along our way because he knows that's what we need to make us stronger, to make us more complete and more mature, which is the goal. When you face trials of many kinds, you should thank God for it. That's the right perspective. Verse 5. <clears throat> see if I can find a number 5 in there. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Man. So this is, this is one of a very short list of truly incredible gifts that God says you can have simply if you ask for it. You just ask for it. If you're a child of God, you've surrendered your life to Him, you're living in obedience to Him, and you ask Him for wisdom, He says He will give it to you. We're so guilty of functioning so much in our lives without asking God for His wisdom. We make big, important, life-altering decisions without seeking the wisdom of God. We, we try to raise children. Come on now. We try to raise children without asking God for His wisdom. We, we try to carry on a marriage relationship without, without asking God for His wisdom. We try to manage finances without asking God for His wisdom. We try to do business without asking God for His wisdom. We try to choose a career and educational pathway without asking God for His wisdom. Why would we do that? Why would we cheat ourselves of a powerful and beneficial gift that He's offering us free of charge? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives Hey, generously, by the way, to everyone without finding fault, 
and it will be given to you. Thinking through the filter of the wisdom of God. But listen, it is impossible to think through the filter of the wisdom of God if you do not have the wisdom of God. If it's not there, you simply cannot think through it. And it's not going to be there if you don't go to him on a regular basis and ask him to establish it in you. His wisdom. And look, this is one of those gifts that you should not walk through life looking for the results of having it. Looking for something to throw a party about because you know that it showed up at this particular point. Why? Because... The truth is, is that most of the time when God's wisdom shows up in your life and you make a decision or you do something, you think some way based off of that wisdom, you use that filter, you don't even know it's happening. You, you probably never know that that was why you did what you did or said what you said. But boy, if we could rewind and see what it would have been had we not thought through the filter of the wisdom of God, we'd be shaking our heads and going, man, what a disaster. Verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Hmm. I know that there's guilt in the room. And it starts with me. Because there's so many of us who have, we, we love God, we believe in God, but when we get in the throes of the situations that life presents to us, we may say we don't doubt that God can manage the situation, but we behave like we don't believe he's going to. Is anybody guilty of that? That you, you... If, if you were asked, do you believe God can work out the situation for you, you would say yes. But then you live as if you don't really believe he's going to. This is, this is really a definition, I believe, of the Christian world at large, is that we acknowledge God, we say we believe in him, we say we trust him, we say we have faith, we say his grace is sufficient, but then we walk out of the room and we begin to live or we continue living as if we really don't believe it. We continue to make decisions based on our own self-sufficiency, based on our own level of intelligence, based on our own financial capabilities, based on the influences that are coming from the outside. What is somebody else saying to us? And that influence becomes more powerful than the influence of God. We do that too much. We do it. James says that when you ask, you have to believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like what? The wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, unstable, never really solidly locked to the tracks, just tossed about by circumstances. We have to think through the filter of faith. We really do believe that God is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We believe that he's capable. We believe, like Paul said, that his grace is sufficient to carry us through everything and that his power is perfected when we're in our weakest moment. 
Thinking through the filter of faith. Verses 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pa pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. I see this as three verses about priorities. Thinking through the filter of the right priorities. And it's another subject. It's just like the faith issue I just talked about. Where if we were interviewed, if we, if we took a survey that said, what's the number one most important thing in your life? And number two and number three, if we're a follower of Christ, we would say and should say that God or the Lord is our number one priority. But then when we walk away from the survey, survey, are we living it out as if we really believe firmly in our hearts that he is the number one priority? The filter of the right priorities. These verses talk about rich people and poor people. And James is writing, remember, to believers He's writing to Jews who have embraced the gospel, who are part of the movement, part of the way, part of the church. He's preaching to church people, not blatant heathens. He's not evangelizing people. He's discipling people. Talking to the church. And he says, you need to make sure your priorities are right. Because there are church people who are wealthy and there are church people who are poor. And we're told in a few different places in the Scripture that it's a whole lot harder for a wealthy person to make it, to be a true winner and warrior in the kingdom. Jesus said it's like a camel trying to go through the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle was a gate in the, in the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Too small for a camel to go through, right? Really impossible for a camel to go through. You'd have to cut the camel up in parts to get it through the gate. Well, there's a lesson in that, right? Maybe we need to be sliced and diced a little bit and cut down to size so we can get through the gate. Because if we have wealth and we have resources, it's all about our perspective toward that, Right? If I, this is why I'll never have much money because I, I just give it away. Right? And I'm not saying that to big myself up, but I hope I have the right perspective on having any sort of resource that the Lord has blessed me with. After all, He didn't give it to me just to hold on to, He gave it to me to bless me, sure, but He also gave it to me so I could bless somebody else. And I think the more you have, the more you're required to bless. Okay, now I look at these lists sometimes. I'll, I'll just, I don't know why I have this interest in this, but sometimes I'll just put in a person's name and, and, their, and just Google their net worth, right? So, for example, I Google Paul McCartney's net worth. Paul McCartney is the richest music entertainer in the world. He's worth like $1.5 billion. Fine. Dan Cathy, who's the uh, just-retired CEO and president of Chick-fil-A, 
is worth like $8 billion. He's eight times richer than Paul McCartney because he sells chicken sandwiches. I think that Dan Cathy, now Paul McCartney's a blatant heathen based on what I see and hear and know and read. Um, but either way, if they were both walking in relationship with the Lord, I think that Dan Cathy is eight times more obligated to give away money than Paul McCartney is. Why? Because he's eight times richer. There's biblical principle for that. There's biblical example for that. You know? Um, we have an obligation based on what we've been blessed with to bless others. It's about the right priorities. And he says that believers who are in humble circumstances should feel pretty good about their high position. That flips the script. Again, it's just like the Beatitudes. He flips the script to where it's not about being in a high spot with money and fame and recognition, success in terms of the world's definition. It's about living in humility before the Lord. That's what the Lord considers to be the high position. It's, it's so easy for us to see ourselves as way more important than we are if we have stuff if we have money, if we have resources, right priorities. Verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I love this one. The one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. This is about thinking through the filter of understanding. Having the right understanding. And understanding is a gift of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means we have to go to God to get it. You can't get it from anywhere else. You can read a manual about how to repair a lawnmower and you get some understanding about that. But in terms of spiritual issues, the only place ever that you can gain understanding is to go to the Lord and to ask Him to open up and reveal to you what He means by this. Give me some understanding about this. Give me some revelation about this. Open it up for me. Teach me out of it. These should be constant prayers for us. Lord, I need your understanding. He says people who will think through this filter will be given the crown of life. I don't know about you, but I've always thought about that as being in the next life. When we enter into eternity, we're in his presence. We gain a crown of life based on how we lived here. I think there's more to it than that. I think we have an opportunity to wear a crown of life right here, right now. It's that life that Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he came to give us and to give it more abundantly. That's a crown of life. It's a life that we're living right here on this earth at this point in time in history. The life he's giving us, given us. It's like a, a, a precious crown on our heads. It's very valuable. And if we're thinking through the filter of understanding, we will see that when, these, when things jump up at us, unexpected, when trouble comes, when controversy arises, the problems are facing us, 
if we're thinking through the filter of understanding, out of all of that, He's going to produce for us a crown of life and give us that abundant life by His Spirit. Verses 16 to 18. Last one. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the filter of stability. Stability. Does anybody uh, from time to time just kind of feel like that life is unstable for you? You just have trouble being able to settle and to feel like things are good, things are where they need to be. I'm, I'm comfortable, not in a sense of, not in a bad sense of, of just being a lump on a log, but comfortable in who you are, comfortable in your relationship with God, comfortable in your relationship with others, comfortable in the status of your family, just feeling really stable. It, it, it's a good place to live. But too many of us are not living there. We're living in this, these patterns of instability. It goes back to, and there are themes running all through this whole chapter, the, the, the pattern of the wave being tossed by the wind. Right? When, when it's windy out uh, and you're on the water, it doesn't seem like, if you look at a flat sea, it doesn't seem like wind would just cause water to get up and do the things that it'll do when, when it's windy. But you will never, ever have wind going on around water, but what the water won't be moving. It's, it's, a, it's an automatic result of being windy is that any water who's there, that's there is going to be moving. Now, if you're out on the sea, out on the ocean, and it's windy, you're going to have waves. And the scary part of it is that the waves are unpredictable. They don't come in a regular pattern. They don't come in similar sizes, and they don't come from the same direction. So you might get hit with an eight-foot swell over here, and before you can recover from it, you get hit with a nine-foot swell from over here. You can't prepare for it. That's a very unstable situation to be in. It can be very frightening. It can cause you to wonder if you're going to survive literally at times. I've been in them. I don't like it. I don't plan to ever go out on that thing again. I'm going to fish in the bay. I'm not going out on the open water. We don't get along. Me in open water, we don't get along at all. Um, I don't like the instability. I don't like to be able to not see land. I need to know there's something firm I can get to. Right? Well, in the kingdom, there is always something firm you can get to. There's always a place of stability. There's always a place to go. There never should be any question about that. And... Yeah, I mean, the waves are going to come, the, way, the storms are going to blow up, the wind's going to get strong, but we should have this 
filter of stability that we think through because we know the Lord's going to sustain us one way or the other. He's our Father. He's our Creator. He's our friend. He's our protector. He is there for us. And you say, well, I mean, God hasn't just uh, rescued everybody who got in that situation who believed in Him or cried out to Him or whatever. No, but it, it's about... It's about how you're thinking about it, how you're perceiving it, and why add to a negative situation another negative piece, which is to think the wrong way about it. Right? That's why I hate worry. Right? So we worry that this bad thing's going to happen. Well, what are we doing when we worry? We're piling another negative thing on top of the worry by worrying about it when it hasn't even happened yet. I think that's silly. You don't even have to get deeply spiritual on that. I just think it's silly. There is a place of stability for kingdom sons and daughters to live. Hopefully we are maturing and we are growing and we are more complete today than we've ever been. We'll be more complete tomorrow than we were today. Slowly but surely, Things are shifting and moving and aligning in the right direction as we think through the right filters. And you know, the mind is a tricky thing. We need to give the mind to God all the time. Give it to Him. Lord, I need you to deal with this thing because it, you know, I just really, I can't manage it, right? And it's from the mind that everything good and bad starts. I'll just finish up with this one illustration, which is a pretty poor one, I'll admit up front, but it's what I got. Um, so I have a horse. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have three horses, and I've got a pony, and I've got three donkeys, and I have two sheep, and I have five pigs, and I have five dogs. And the answer to the question that's in your head is, yes, I'm crazy. I've been asked as friends, relatives, etc., find out about this. Um, Jeff, are you crazy? I've been asked that more than once. And my answer to it is, yes, I am. Thanks for asking. But here's the thing. There may be a lesson in this for somebody. Here's the thing. I'm a little crazy, but at least I know it. Okay? That's a good starting point. Because there's a big difference between being crazy and knowing it and being crazy and not knowing it. Would you agree? But there are different levels even to that. And when I use the word crazy, I don't mean it in, in an insulting way. I'm not, you know, it's, it's just the best word I can think of. You can be crazy and not know it, and that just be sort of a benign, harmless kind of a state to live in. You're not hurting anybody. You know, you're no danger, no threat to anybody. But you can also be crazy and not know it and be in a more of a riskier, dangerous place, it's more severe, 
and you, you don't know it, so you don't admit it, so you can't do anything about it. And there's even another level, which is you're, you're crazy, and you don't know it, but you just flat out deny it, and you're never willing to address it or get any help with it. And you function off of that, and that's probably the most dangerous spot you could be. You would argue with people that you're not crazy, that they're the ones who are crazy. Okay? So there are these different, y'all like, what in the world is he talking about? The mind is, is, a, is a, it's a space that carries huge importance to everything that happens in our lives. I think most of us have some level of crazy. We got a little level of crazy some, some way, somehow. Okay? We just, I mean, it's, it's almost inevitable. There may be a few people out there that just don't have any of it. I don't know who they are, but there may be. <clears throat> Most of us have some little level of it. it. Because when you grow up, you're under influences. People are setting examples in front of you. People are telling you things. You go through the educational system. You're exposed to peers who feed stuff into you. You watch television, which can mess your mind up as bad as anything I know. Some people have dabbled around with drugs and alcohol, which can do some irreparable damage. Um, you may have been Im impacted by trauma. So at City of Refuge, we deal with a lot of people who have been through trauma, abuse, it may have been physical abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, and it has impacted their minds. And that's why I say I don't, mean, I don't use the word crazy to be insulting because that's, that's not the point. It's like there's trauma that has happened that has altered the way we would have otherwise lived our lives because of our thought processes. It's okay to admit that. Right? I think it's a good place to, to start because then if we can admit that that's the case and if we can admit that we at least have some level of something that we could use help with, then we start reaching out to the right sources for help. If you're that kind of crazy that will never admit you've got a problem, that completely denies it, you can't get help for it. You can't get help for something that you won't acknowledge as a problem for you. All right, But if you can get to the point of where we started, looking through a lens of humility and saying, okay, I might be a fairly decent human being, but I've got some issues, and I would like to get some help with my issues. I would like to be better than I am. I would like to fix some things. I would like to have a better system of thinking things out and then making decisions off of my thoughts. I really would. Then you're in a great spot because then you can begin to ask for the good gifts. Father, I want your wisdom. 
Then you can begin to listen to the voices of spiritual leadership that he puts in your life. And some of us just shut it out. You know, there are people walking this room on Sundays and sit down and leave here. And by 1 o'clock, they couldn't tell you anything that was said because they just shut it out. Right? You're never going to get to a point of maturity and completeness like that. But if we start at the right spot, thinking through the filter of humility, having the right perspective, asking for his wisdom, establishing the filter of faith that believes he can do it, then the priorities will start to align, we'll get more understanding, and life stabilizes. That's a beautiful picture of where he wants to take us to. From being tossed about by the waves that are, that are stirred up by the wind to a place of stability. You know, Jesus on the boat, taking a nap. That's a great perspective, right? And the, the storm blows up and everybody else is freaking out. Why? They, they, they haven't known him long enough to know what he's capable of. They don't have that faith level. They don't have the right perspective. So they're screaming, crying, we're all going to die. And he says, look, here's where I'm capable of taking you from, and here's where I'm capable of taking you to. I can take you from this point where your life is all chaotic and up and down and back and forth and full of storms, and you're just tossed around like a little bitty, like a little boat on the water like this i can take you from there if you'll commit yourself to me if you exercise your faith if you will walk in obedience to what i'm telling you to do drop your pride be humble i can take you from that to a stable journey there may be little dips and little dives here and there but it's going to be stability in your mind stability in your heart and together we're going to go to a really good place which is the crown of life that's all i got right there because that's enough that's plenty right it's enough for me anyway father thank you for this day thank you for this word thank you for these people I thank you for what James had to say to us today, starting from not bigging himself up by saying, hey, I'm somebody, but, but, by, but by saying, hey, we've got to start on a platform of humility and then teaching us the filters we ought to think through. So I pray that this word would remain with us, will make a difference, that we will be more mature, more complete as we meditate on this word than we've ever been name we pray. Amen. Amen.